How many have enjoyed the summer in the Psalms? Hasn't it been wonderful? Back in January, uh, when we did our uh, prayer and fasting time, I, I dedicated to read through all 150 Psalms during that time. So I picked 10 Psalms, and I read 10 Psalms a day, and it really, really spoke life to me. The Psalms are just a wonderful part of our scripture, of how God speaks to us. Now, I want to ask everybody a question here this morning. How many here are music lovers? How many like music? Everybody likes music. I am a music lover. Anytime I'm at home, ask my wife. I've got the music going. If I'm cooking, I've got the music going. If I'm lounging in the backyard, I have music going. You know, music speaks to us. There's a message in music that we all can relate to. And uh, the Psalms are very similar. The Psalms are God's words given to us. And the Psalms attract us. It's, these are the songs of those days. And um, when we listen to music, some part of the singer's experience can resonate with us. We sing along to the songs we love. Even though the singer does not know us, we adapt the music and the words and the lyrics to our needs. Recently, one of the songs I'm really listening to a lot of, and one of my favorite bands is U2. I love U2. I think their lyrics are brilliant. I think Bono is, uh, has just such a way to put things in his music. And I'm listening to this song called Unknown Caller. And it's a wonderful um, uh, dialogue between a man who got lost, between the darkness and the dawning, and God speaking to this man, saying, listen to me, I have words for you. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful uh, back and forth between man and God and God speaking to this man in the middle of his lostness and in the middle of his darkness. And there's, um, there's a reference to even Jeremiah 33, 3, where it says, call to me and I will answer you. That's what Jeremiah 33, 3 says. Now, that is my message this morning. It's about calling unto the Lord in hope. There is hope in the Lord. You know what Audra shared right now? It's just, it's a, when we lose hope, when we lose hope, where do we turn? But the word of God has hope. It's full of hope. And God always answers and he always hears us. And that's what's encouraging. And that's what I want to share with us today. So, one commentator called Psalm 130 a tiny gospel announcing the truths which men of every age need to know. And so this psalm is a call for help. It's a cry for forgiveness. And it's all about waiting for the Lord in hope. So let's turn our, in our Bibles to Psalm 130. Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark my iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful re redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So we're going to look at this psalm from four different aspects. Now notice this psalm has eight verses, 
and four stanzas. Two stanzas um, each, and each one has a different emphasis. We're going to look that. We're going to tear the psalm apart and look at it and see how it can speak to us today, how it can give us a message of encouragement and hope today. So notice in verse one, out of the depths I cry to you. It's a cry from the depths. This is just not a normal cry. It's something that we feel burdened about. It's something we're going through. It's something that the psalmist was going through. And it's a deep cry. Something must have really been troubling the psalmist when he wrote this. There are depths here represented. It's when you hit rock bottom and you can't fix the situation on your own. The message translates this. Help God, the bottom has fallen out of my life. Getting back to uh, the band that I follow you to, one of my favorite songs is Psalm is, uh, is a song they wrote called 40, and it's based on Psalm 40. They wrote this song, they put it to words. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, and I will sing a new song. I will sing a new song. See, we can often find ourselves in the pit, in the clay. Have you ever got your feet stuck in clay or in mud? You can't move. You try and take your feet out, and what happens? Your boot gets stuck in the mud. And it's the same. We get stuck sometimes. We get something's going on, some distressful situation in your life, and you feel stuck. Like, how can I move in this clay? Right? A lot of the people in the Bible face these same situations. Jonah faced this same situation. In Jonah chapter 2, verse 2, it says, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. David found himself in many distressful situations that left him nowhere else to turn but to God. 2 Samuel 22, 7 says, But in my distress, I cried out to you, Lord. Yes, I cried to my God for help. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cries reached his ears. Notice these two verses that God hears us when we cry unto him. He's not deaf. He can hear our cries. He can hear our call out for help. God, help me in this situation. I've got this situation before me and I don't know where to go. He hears our cries, folks. David also in Psalm 69, uh, verses 1 to 3 says, um, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink deep in the mire where there is no standing. I have come into these deep waters where my floods overflow me. I am weary of crying. We find ourselves in those situations sometimes. And you see, when we cry out for help, and we cry to the Lord in our prayer out of our distressful situation, Prayer is never more real or acceptable to God than when it comes out of the deep places, out of the distressful situations in our life. Depths of earnestness are stirred by depths of tribulation. The more distressed we are about something, the more excellent is that the faith with which we trust in the Lord. And that appeals to God. That appeals to our Heavenly Father. Now the question for us today is when we face these distressful situations and we are in the midst of the depths, where do we turn? Now the problem might be financial. 
The problem might be relational. The problem might be a health issue. There's many different distressful situations that we can all face. Each one of us here this morning have faced or are facing something right now. We have a choice. Do we take these distressful situations and do we try to medicate them in other ways? Do we try to avoid them? Do we try to distract ourselves? Some people turn to alcohol. Some people turn to drugs. Some people turn to pornography. There's many different ways that we could try to avoid facing the dist- uh, this distressful situation. Or we can cry out to our God. And we are promised many, many times in scriptures that he hears our voice and he answers our prayers. Sometimes when we cry out to God, we yell. I know I have faced many situations and I've cried out to God. Right now, currently, I am crying out to God for several situations in my life, relational situations that I want God to work in and change and help. And they're painful. And my wife and I, we cry out to the Lord for these situations. And you know what, folks? It's okay to get in a room, to get in your closet and to have it out with God and say, God, help me. I need your help. I'm going to show us a little clip, just a little clip of a movie I just recently watched called The Apostle. Has anybody seen The Apostle with Robert Duvall? Okay, this is a little clip where Robert Duvall has gotten off track. He's a preacher of the word. He's gotten way off track, and he's having it out with his father. Let's watch this. That's a temple I built for you. And I'm going to yell at you because I'm mad at you. I can't. Take it. Give me a sign or something. Blow this pain out of me. Give it to me tonight, Lord God, Jehovah. If you won't give me back my wife, give me peace. Give it to me, give it to me, give it to me, give me peace. Give me peace. I don't know who's been fooling with me. You are the devil. I don't know. And I won't even bring the human into this. He's just a mutt, so I'm not even going to bring him into it. But I'm confused. I'm mad. I love you, Lord. I love you. But I'm mad at you. I am mad at you. So deliver me tonight, Lord. What should I do? Now tell me. Should I lay hands on myself? What should I do? I know I'm a sinner and I once in a while womanizer, but I'm your servant. Since I was a little boy, you brought me back from the dead. I'm your servant. What should I do? Tell me. I've always called you Jesus. You always called me Sonny. What should I do, Jesus? This is Sunday talking now. That's good. That's good. All right. So that's a man who's facing a distressful situation. And he's taking it to the Lord. He's taking it to God. And that's okay. God is not offended when we bring this to him, when we have it out with him in our quiet place. He's heard it all before. He's okay with that. That's where we really meet in intimate ways with our God. Next, we're going to look at our plea for mercy. Easton's Bible Dictionary defines mercy as compassion for the miserable We are all in need of God's mercy, folks. We know that God is a merciful God because we've been told that in Scripture. 
but we need to ask for it. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, have mercy on me in this situation. This psalmist cries out for mercy. We plea for mercy. We cry out and we bring him our request. He is a good father and he wants to hear what's on our track. And no matter what our plea is, maybe we've gotten so far off track that we think he'll never want to hear from us again. That's not true. C.S. Lewis put it this way. When a man is getting better, he understands more and more clearly the evil that is still in him. When we draw closer to God, we see more and more the evil in us. When a man is getting worse, he understands his own badness less and less. So whether you have not come to faith in Christ or whether you have been a Christian for a long time, getting a glimpse of God in his holiness will plunge you into the depths of, and depths of guilt and despair so that you have nowhere else to do, nothing else to do but cry out to him in despair for mercy. We all need that. We all need God's mercy. It is simply getting what we don't deserve because we all really deserve punishment and judgment for our sin and our rebellion. But God, in his merciful way, has decided to have mercy on us. 2 Samuel 24, 4 says, David said to Gad, who was a prophet, I am in deep distress. Let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great. But let us not fall into the hands of man. Isn't that interesting? Titus 3, 5 says, He saved us not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing and the rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. Okay, we're going to look at uh, verses 3 and 4 now. We're going to look at in God we have forgiveness. You see, folks, without forgiveness, we're all doomed. We need forgiveness. We are in such a terrible position with our sin before us. If God kept a ledger of our sins, we would not survive the outcome. Right? Our sins are before us, and they far outweigh the good. The guilt would be so great that our punishment would be certain. Not even Mother Teresa would survive All of us have gone astray. All of us have turned away and gone our own way. But, and here is the good news, folks. With you, there is forgiveness. That you may be feared. So, here's our position. We are in the depths of sin. Our guilt is before us. We cry out to God and he hears us and he comes not with judgment but with forgiveness. I love the story in the Bible about um, the woman caught in adultery and the religious leaders of the day took this lady, took this woman and brought her before Jesus and said, what should we do? She's been caught in adultery and the law says that we should stone her. And they had every right to stone her according to the law. Jesus simply sat down on the ground and wrote something in the dirt. And he looked up at these leaders and said, whoever is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And each one of them dropped their stone. They were convicted immediately. And they walked away. And then Jesus did something beautiful. He walked up to this woman and said, where are your accusers? 
Who is here to condemn you? And she looked up and she saw no one. No one, Lord. And the Lord says, I condemn you. I not, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. What a beautiful picture of forgiveness and mercy. That's, that's the Jesus that we serve. That's the God we love, right? There is mercy and forgiveness with Jesus. We are told that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is waiting to forgive us. Think of the story of the prodigal son. Think of the story of the thief on the cross. There's your own story. There's my story. We all have a story how we have been forgiven. Think about something for a minute. Think about David. Here's this great leader, wrote most of the Psalms. A man who slew the giant, had no issues, had faith, a great leader of Israel. Yet, he broke almost every command, commandment. In fact, I think there's a case to be made that he broke every commandment. Lust, murder, adultery, and the list goes on. Yet God had mercy on him and forgave him. And you can read Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is David's confession and his repentance before God. And God restored him and forgave him. Next, we're going to look at how forgiveness leads to fear. As I said, without forgiveness, folks, we're all doomed. But with it, we learn to fear him. At first glance, that seems very strange. You might expect it to say, but with forgiveness, with you, um, sorry, but there is forgiveness with you that you may be loved. Or maybe it's with, there is justice with you that you may be feared. But why? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. It's interesting how it's written this way. But see, you fear God because you know that he has every reason to condemn you. But he does not do that. You do not fear his punishment now, but you do fear him because you know that he rightly could have cast your body and soul into hell for all eternity. The psalmist tells us that no matter how deep we may be in guilt and despair, we can carry out we can cry out to the Lord for mercy and he adds that there is forgiveness with God and that leads to fear but because without it, we're all doomed. I love Proverbs 16, 6. It says, by loving kindness and truth, sin is atoned for but by the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. When we fear the Lord, we keep away from evil. We don't want to do evil. We want to love the Lord. We want to love him. We want to do what pleases him. Next, in God, we have hope. Verses five and six. It says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word, I hope. See, hope can be found uh, in, a very, in his very precious word, the Bible. We have a wonderful gift that God has given us. His word is so precious. It speaks to everything we go through in life. It can give us every answer we're looking for, every cry of our heart. God's word can comfort us. It can give us hope when there is no hope. In the past, your sins have been forgiven. 
Proverbs, uh, Psalm 103, 12 says, he has removed all our sins as far as the east is from the west. Presently, we can be confident that God has saved you and given you his spirit. 1 John 4, 13 says, by this we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit and we have hope of a great future. Heaven awaits for those who put their trust in him. And it's where all our hardships, our setbacks, our sorrows, our tears will be a thing of the past. First Peter 3, uh, chapter 1, verse 3 and 4 says, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. You know, without hope, where do we bring our pain? Where do we bring our frustration? Where do we bring our loss, our disappointments, our setbacks? Where do we bring them? Recently, there's been uh, two very high-profile musicians that have been in the news that both committed suicide because they lost hope. Chester Bennington from Lincoln Park um, said this, I have been able to tap into all the negative things that can happen to me throughout my life by numbing myself to the pain, so to speak, and kind of be able to vent it through my music. Chester Bennington committed suicide on July 20th, 2017. Chris Cornell from Soundgarden Audio Slaves said this, there's something about losing friends, particularly young people, when it's not something that you get over. I don't believe there's a healing process. Chris Cornell committed suicide on May 18th of 2017. And folks, unfortunately, the list goes on. When people lose hope, they don't have hope. Where do they go? Now, I've been to many funerals recently um, and over my life. And I can tell you, when, I, when I've attended a Christian funeral, it's vastly different than attending someone who's died and doesn't know the Lord. The Christian funeral, while it's sad and there's grieving and everything else, there's hope because we know that that loved one has gone to be with the Lord, with Jesus, and we will one day see them again. That is the hope we have. First Thessalonians says that we do not grieve as those who are without hope. God has given us hope. We have a certain hope. Now, sometimes hope means waiting. Verse 6 says, my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. When you think about it, most of life is waiting. Waiting for answers to questions. Waiting for red lights. Waiting in lineups. Waiting in the doctor's office, in the waiting room. Waiting for your kids to return home. I'm the kind of guy that hates waiting. Just ask my wife. If I walk into a bank or into a place and there's people in line, I, I get anxious. I, I don't want to wait. I want to get, get it done. Get the business done and that's it. Um, but life is waiting. And that's sometimes what we put our hope in. We wait for the Lord to act. We wait for the Lord to answer. Um, when our kids were young, we used to travel to Windsor to visit my parents in, Windsor, uh, in Ontario. 
and uh, we would drive, and I would sometimes make up time by, by driving through the night. And the night seemed to be the longest part of the drive. Linda and the kids are sleeping. I'm alone. It's dark. And I'm just waiting for that first glimmer of light to come up, for light, for the daytime to come. Then I know my watch is over. Turn the keys over to Linda, and she can now drive. I can sleep. But that's what waiting is. And we can be certain that the sun will rise every day. We can be certain that God will act when we cry out to him. On the night before August 1st, 1830, the slaves in the British West Indies never went to bed. They stayed awake because at daybreak, they would be set free from their slavery. Tens of thousands of them went to their places of worship and spent the night singing praises to God, waiting for the first glimmer of daylight. Just before dawn, they sent some onto the top of the hills so they could get a signal, they could signal the others that day had broken. Out of the depths of the horrors of slavery, when daylight came, they would taste the joys of freedom. Our lives can get so busy. We don't know what it means to wait anymore. We live in an instant society, instant coffee. It's not, fast, not done fast enough. Drive-through restaurants. What does it mean to wait? C.S. Lewis, it doesn't mean just, before I go to C.S. Lewis, it doesn't mean just waiting around, waiting until we get to heaven and just like sitting here and doing nothing. C.S. Lewis put it this way, a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that Christians who did the most for this present world were just those who thought of the next the most. And Isaiah chapter 40 says, but they who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will rise up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary and they shall walk and not faint. Waiting on the Lord. And lastly, in God, there is unwavering love and redemption. Verse 7 says, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all their iniquities. Isn't that wonderful? That's, see, when you've been in the depths and you've been washed with God's forgiveness, you want others to experience the same thing. The basis for hoping in the Lord is that with him there is loving kindness. Remember how he revealed himself to Moses when Moses said, let me have a glimpse of who you are, of your face? And then he said this in Exodus 34, 6. He says, the Lord, the Lord God, is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. And then David adds in Psalm 103, 13, just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And our psalmist adds right here in this passage we're reading, and with him there is abundant redemption. Just a wonderful, wonderful picture of his love. And it covers all of your sins. He will redeem Israel from all their iniquities, it says. See, the psalmist didn't know exactly how God was going to accomplish this. 
But when Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, heard that his son would be the forerunner of the Messiah and that Mary was with child, the Savior through the Holy Spirit, he prophesied this in Luke 1.68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he, will, he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. With his blood, Jesus accomplished redemption out of the slave market of sin. I want to conclude here with a story about a recent friend of mine um, and uh, what happened in his life. And uh, so through my son-in-law, Mark, um, we were doing some renovations on our house recently. And uh, so I had this fella come, and he, was, he has his own business. He does soffits and fascia and eaves troughs and all that kind of stuff. So I had him over, um, and then I started having a conversation with him. I said, his name's Chris Green. I said, Chris, I got, by the way, I got permission to share this with you, okay? So just so you know. Um, I said, Chris, how you doing? And he says, well, not great. He says, I've just recently been diagnosed with colon cancer. 37 years old, married, two young children, goes to church. He's a believer. I said, oh, that's terrible news. He says, yeah, I went to the doctor, and they did an MRI. I had this pain in my back, and they did an MRI on me. And uh, they said, oh, we see a mass there. We're going to send you for a CT scan. So they scheduled him for a CT scan. And sure enough, the day after he had his uh, test for a CT scan, the doctor called him and says, yeah, you have colon cancer. We're going to schedule you for a colonoscopy. Now, he had been working at my place in the midst of all this. So I said, like, do you mind if I pray for you uh, after we finish our work? I took a few hours off to help him work with him. He says, yeah, no problem. So we finished the work together and I just put my arm around him and I said, let's pray. And I just prayed that God would heal him and that God would give him peace and help him in this situation. And then that was it. That was on July 26th. Anyways, uh, his colonoscopy was scheduled for August the 10th. So I hadn't heard anything. It was a few days after. I think we had Mark and Stephanie over our daughter and son-in-law. And uh, Mark says, hey, good news. I go, what's the good news? He says, well, uh, after the colonoscopy, the colonoscopy he had the day after, the doctor called him, and he says, you have no sign of cancer. God had healed him. And so I called him, and I said, I said, Chris, do you mind if I share this? Because it really ties into the message that I'm preparing right now. How when we're in a distressful situation, how we're in the depths, and we can all be in the depths, folks, but God can take us, and he can have mercy on us. And in this situation, he had mercy on Chris and healed him. And I said to Chris, I said, Chris, do you believe you're healed? He goes, absolutely, I believe I was healed. He says, one day I have cancer, the next day I don't. How do you explain that? I said, that's God. That's our merciful, loving God that gives us hope. He says, you know something, Dale? In the midst of this whole thing I went through, it's, he says, I can't even explain it. But he says, I had peace. Knowing I had this sentence in front of me, I, my wife and I still had peace. We knew that we were in God's hands. So folks, that's my encouragement to us today. No matter what you're going through, no matter what trial or situation or distressful thing that you're going through, you can have peace in the midst of whatever the storm you're going through because we serve a God who is merciful, a God that loves you, and that God will take you all the way to the end and give us a bright future and a hope. And we, can, we have this great hope, and we are meant to share this hope with others who have no hope. Just like this young girl. 
And there's many others. It goes on and on, folks. We live in a world that is hopeless. The world has nothing to offer that, that what the word of God has. It has nothing to offer. It can offer fame. It can offer fortune. It can offer, like the fight last night, I think the winner of this fight gets three, two or three hundred million dollars. But what, where does that go at the end of life? There's no hope in money. There's no hope in success. But there is hope in Jesus Christ. And that's where we put our faith and our trust. And remember, when we cry out to him, we are, we are told that he hears our voice. Always. He hears your cry. It does not fall on deaf ears, folks. My encouragement to us this morning is whatever you're going through, cry out to him. He will hear you and he will answer in his time because his time and his ways are higher and better than our ways. And that's where we need to go to put our trust and our faith in him. So do you know the salvation today? That's my question for us. Do you know the salvation? If you are here this morning and you don't know the salvation and you don't know this loving God, you can know him today. Today is the day for you to change your life, to turn your life over to him, to a loving God who wants to forgive you who wants to set you on a new path, who wants to give you hope and redemption. That's what we have. That's what the Bible offers.